MHV Voice, connecting people and sharing ideas. So today we're we're joined by Leon Power from Nanobubble Agritech. Welcome along. Hi Mel, thanks very much for having me. Very, very welcome. Um, so do you want to tell us a wee bit about yourself? So uh, my name's Leon, I'm a, a co-founder and general manager um, for our a new Kiwi startup that work in the irrigation space. Uh, we mm-hmm. build nanobubble machines for large-scale outdoor growers. Um, and what these do is they put heaps and heaps of oxygen in your irrigation water using nanobubbles. And with that, you can primarily you can increase your crop yield or plant growth rate, as well as you can have improvements in water use efficiency. And if you've got um, some, there's a couple plant health issues that you get associated with uh, anaerobic soil conditions, we can sort of have a chemical free solution for those as well. So, so this is this is new technology that you that you've introduced. Yep, it's it's very new in the terms of or nanobubbles are very new generally speaking, but they've been around for four or five years in other industries, and I guess we're breaking new ground, taking it um, to large scale irrigation, outdoor irrigation. So, uh, nanobubbles are a new thing. They're getting used in a couple of key industries, including wastewater, aquaculture. General industrial process engineering, uh, where I did a bit in it, and then um, hydroponic growing, sort of the main one. And hydroponic growers, they use it, you get chuck a lot of oxygen as nanobubbles, you get much bigger roots, healthier plants, and typically you might get another 10 to 20% yield growth rate or yield, depending on stuff. And we're sort of taking that technology and trying to go from indoor growing small water flows and really high value crops to outdoor growing with much bigger water flows and lower value crops. So how does it actually work? So essentially, we have a system that you can retrofit to your irrigation and uh, water will be going down the pipe after your pump or bore or whatever. Um, and water, wherever it's going, the, the water flow runs through our system and we transfer pure oxygen gas, which we uh, take from the air around us. And we have oxygen separators that separate out the 20% of air that is oxygen and we put pure oxygen into your irrigation water and then that gets irrigated on your crop and you get quite a good response. And so retrofitting onto um, on the existing infrastructure, I'm, I'm sure that hasn't been without its challenges. Yeah, there's always a lot of learnings um, and certain, it's certainly easier to do some retrofits than others. Um, mm. But yeah, it's, uh, we've, done, we've done a couple of installations now uh, and just starting to get to the bigger sizes as well where we've done um, probably a lot of smaller installs to start with, but um, yeah, getting to the bigger stuff. So, I mean, as a as an agri startup, there's probably, I mean, we've already talked about the challenges of of retrofitting on on existing existing infrastructure. And what have been some of the other challenges you've had to face? Uh, obviously, um, you were putting heaps of oxygen in your water, and that makes you grow more. Uh, there's a lot of different magic water companies out there that use magnets and lights and all sort of stuff so you have to really show that you're uh, a genuine thing and you can have an impact and um, I had a funny story I was, my uncles are all dairy farmers and, and I've been working with this tech for an engineering company in wastewater and hydroponic growing and basically we had a lot of sales in the pipeline uh, COVID hit and everyone stopped spending on new technology and and there wasn't really much room to keep paying me at the company um, mm-hmm. and then we kept thinking hey this is working really well in hydroponic growing could we prove it helps in soil and could we change the tech there's a whole lot of engineering challenges to make it work well and anyway I was talking to my uncles who are dairy farmers and 
and a couple and big business you know they run really massive businesses and they're very successful and sort of saying i'm thinking about having a go at this because i think it could be really impactful and my uncle rich said leon you know we love you but it sounds like you're full of shit, mate um <laughs> so you better do some good you know have good trials and data behind you if you want to sell to people say you're doing this and it's going to make you grow more um so we basically started the business by getting a a master's student at mass university to use gave him some some nano bubble gear and did trials on apples and pasture and had really really good results back in sort of 2020 21 summer um and then have grown from there with a lot more in-depth research done at Massey and trials over multiple soil types and different gases and irrigation rates and um, different concentrations of nanobubbles and with and without urea and sort of build up a big database of what sort of response we can get as an average. Um, and then also done our first retrofits on pivots and, and then last year our first ones in the real world as well as lots of ones on orchards. And yeah, you just have to build up a whole lot of data to sort of work out the best way to use it and in what scenarios, what sort of average response you're going to get. And obviously every farm's different and every way people grow in different industries or regions is different. So um, everyone, every installation is a bit different, but you sort of get a good general feel for what the expected outcome might be. Um, gone on a massive sidetrack there, sorry. Oh, no, that, that, Hopefully that, that gives good. a bit of background to uh, yeah what we do and how we've gone from putting lots of oxygen and hydroponic stuff uh, to building a business that makes a technology for outdoor guys and, and where we're starting to get to. Um, yeah, so what, to. what sort of average response are you seeing in a pasture scenario? Depends where you do it. So uh, we've done, as an average, when we're doing it outdoors uh, with rainfall, making up half the plant evapotranspiration, roughly sort of 20 to 30% is what we've been getting in the real world. And we've done nine different sites now. So, um, you know, we're building up a bit of database. If we have a dry, sort of the drier the climate and we have more of plant ET or, you know, the water the plants use coming from irrigation, that response is bigger. So we did our our second year trials at Massey, we retrofitted their little one spanner pivot irrigator with some sections of our technology and with and without and ran through a couple of paddocks. And we managed over a six month, five cut summer irrigation season, we did 96% more dry matter on a modern tetrapoid ryegrass. So smashed wow. it out of the park, but we were keeping all the rainfall off as well. So all the majority of the rainfall. Um, right. So it wasn't like a true world test. Um, but we think, you know, if you take, took it to dry climates, you could have a pretty big impact. And then, yeah, we've been getting about sort of 20 to 30%. And obviously, there's a shit ton of rain last season. So we think if it's a bit drier, we might get a little bit more. But, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's sort of where we've been at. And so the the way that you retrofit, it, it looks it looks like it's a, almost a curtain across the pivot. Yeah, so when we retrofit to orchards, we can sort of drop our system, run the water through, and that's it. Uh, when we do it on lateral or pivot irrigators, because we force water to hold gas sort of four or five levels above the previous ceiling maximum limit, it's more than it wants to hold. If we go through sprinklers that fly a long way through the air, all that gas comes out. And then by the time it hits the ground, it's got hardly any oxygen as nanobubbles and doesn't do anything. Um, so when we do it on a pivot, you know, they've got a 10 meter radius or 20 meter diameter to get that nice even blanket. Um, we retrofit your pivot or your lateral irrigator with mobile drip line. And what that is, it's just instead of your sprinklers, we retrofit um, heaps of hoses that are drip irrigation and the water dribbles out the end of it on the ground. Um, and that way it keeps all the oxygen in the water 
and it goes into the soil and, and that big sort of improvement is transferred to the soil, um, which is a big change. There's been a couple of trial or small installations in New Zealand and I think there's a 10 spanner going in in Canterbury this year or maybe one or two. And um, it's very new though. And then uh, there's sort of three or four companies around the world that do it and there'd be maybe a couple of thousand installations globally. Um, but people use mobile drip line because they get really big improvements in water use primarily. Right. Um, you don't get any of the wind evaporative losses or a bit less soil evaporative losses and plant evaporative losses as well, sort of just putting it straight onto the soil. Um, but yeah, we have to use that if we want to do a nanobubble installation on a pivotal lateral irrigator. And so how do they cope with fences? Fences isn't really an issue. We've uh, we've been running it on sites for two years now uh, and we've never had any issues hooking on fences. The big one's cows. That's our stock is the big bugbear of us. Yeah. So we've done, you know, nine installs on grass and we, uh, or pasture I should say, and we can always grow a lot more. The issue is if you're trying to retrofit one on a dairy farm and your races are under the pivots, Mm -hmm. That's where the issue lies. It just becomes a big ball lake trying to manage your stock around it. So at the moment, we're targeting farms that are ring raced. Um, so where the race goes into the middle and you might have a central sort of circle lane and all the paddocks come off sort of in a, I guess like a clock or in triangles. Um, it's really easy to leave that middle section without mobile drip line on. And then it's just a, if, it's, if you've got a full circle pivot, whenever the perfect pivot's going over that race, you're not going to be able to run your cows up and down for period of time but then as if you're on a three or four five day or three or four day rotation you can as long as you're sort of a day ahead of your cows you're fine um and then we think you know we hope over time we'll find other ways to bring it in to make it easier to manage um, a couple farmers have suggested using halter or there's a couple companies looks like in the next couple of years might come out with something similar and we talked met with craig once as well at the south island dairy event and he said you know we're flat out oversubscribed with trying to get installs but in a year or two's time once we um a bit further down the line, we'd be keen to try and put one on a, a collar on a pivot and then build it into our program. So you can run your cows as per normal and um, they can walk through gaps under the pivot and keep them away from the mobile drip line as well. But um, yeah, at this stage, we're just targeting guys who, yeah, it's probably 10 or 15% of the irrigated farms in Canterbury where they, you know, the cow sheds in the middle of the farm and has a big pivot, goes all the way around the outside or yeah, ring race or races on the outside and just focus on those for now. So, Leon, you've talked about that the challenge with, with the cows. Are there any other challenges? Yeah, well, any new company you're trying to break new ground um, is tough. And uh, obviously, you've got a, we've done a huge amount of R&D. We've had six or seven major engineering challenges why people couldn't go from hydroponic to large-scale water flows. Um, when you take nanobubble technology from a small pipe to a large pipe, it, doesn't, it works extremely poorly. And then... Um, the margins are a lot less, so we have to be a lot more cost effective with a whole lot more stuff going on and water to treat. So we've had a lot of huge challenges, but we think we've all the sort of key ones we've done, but it's still new ground and you've got to get your gear in and it's got to be reliable because, um, you know, you're selling a product. So, yeah, we've everything we've done, we've always done, but there's always learnings along the way. So it's just working through those and not trying to get too stressed out when uh, you do stuff. And it's every time you do it on a farm, there's something you it's a new learning, so there's always things that come up, but just breaking them down, finding the solution, and then making sure you've got that moving forward. So that's been a pretty huge challenge. But um, yeah, so far, we always said uh, we'll pull out if it doesn't look like it should be something that's adopted in the future. And the, port, the more we get down the line, the more we're like, this looks like it's really going to stack up 
Um, and you know, if you were doing a pivot installation from the get-go, you know, our costs would probably be much less. Which um, probably the big, the other big thing we just haven't talked about yet is the cost is quite high. So you know, you've got to de-risk it for farmers, knowing that they're going to get so much response and it's going to work and and um, save them money to make it a, an investment worth buying. Yeah, so so before before I do talk about cost, because I do have a question to ask you about cost, but I, I always like to talk about value because you know value is a far far better proposition. So what is the value to farmers in installing the system? Yeah, it's a good question, Mel. So obviously every situation is a bit different where people are at, but um, using are you, are you talking specifically about pivots and laterals or just general horticulture as well or yeah, um, for, for us, mostly it's probably not much yeah. horticulture. <laughs> no, there's not much yeah. horticulture. So yeah, I am, I am definitely more interested in the in the pastoral system, but happy to hear the whole perspective too. Yeah. Now I'll stick to I'll stick to cropping and pasture. So uh, basically, if you can grow more, you can you know you can make more milk, or you can grow more of a crop. Hopefully, your return on each crop is going to be higher. That's the number one uh, return value proposition for a farmer. The other one is the other key one is when we do our installs with mobile drip line, we know we get quite a big improvement in water sufficiency. So um, that's a big one. I know uh, you know water's being cut back a little bit um, around the region in some areas, as well as the cost to treat water is going up. So if you can use this water, hopefully that saves on cost in some areas too. Um, yeah, we think it's always hard to say because. It's hard to measure water use sufficiency. It's not as simple as um, going around with a pasture plate meter and doing your walks or, or grass cuts. Um, but we, we sort of expect to see, based on what all the other users overseas get converting from sprinklers to mobile drip lines, sort of a 15 to 30% improvement in water use. And obviously the guys who are really windy and exposed areas uh, with a lot of irrigation hot through summer are probably gonna get a bigger response than someone that's up close to the, um, is further inland sort of thing um but yeah we hope to see sort of that um and if you wanted to reduce you could probably reduce what we've sort of found is you can grow a lot more using the same water or you can reduce your water a lot less and grow the same as you were before so if people have a really strong reason to use a lot less water they can keep doing the same production on that um it's probably the big one and then probably the last one which we haven't proved so it's a bit of a claim but we think we should get a bit of an improvement is around nitrogen leaching and, and that sort of stuff as well. We think hey, if you can grow and harvest an extra 20 or 30% more from the same inputs, hopefully you might get a bit less leaching coming down through the profile. So we uh, this year with our with sort of couple installs we're doing, we're hoping to use um, one of the research bodies around Ashburton um, to accurately monitor that um, right. and give us some hard data or if we could get any sort of buy-in from Lincoln University and let us with their lysometers, their lysometer field would be cool, but um, yeah, to try and validate what we think is, uh, we should be seeing in theory if you're using your overseer modeling and that sort of stuff. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, but we think that could be really helpful, especially with uh, you know farmers, nitrogen usage has been cut back a lot. The average production for a dairy farm in Canterbury over time is that sort of nitrogen has been mined off has dropped a lot too. So maybe we've got a chemical-free solution that can reduce leaching and um, allow farmers, you know, instead of having to get cut back more, they can say, no, we can we can do the same. We're doing more production. We're getting less leaching. So that's quite that would be something yeah, that's, that's really a, helpful, you know. Yeah, that that could be really powerful. So so that's that's the value piece. So what what does the cost look like? 
it depends and I don't like to give out the prices too much over the phone because it's <laughs> going to depend a lot on different stuff but yeah at the moment we're we're sort of doing it and it looks like it should be about a two or three year payback period for farmers right um and then at the moment it's also early days so we're building stuff one-offs and it's costing us a lot of money but we're hoping in time uh, we can bring the cost down and potentially look to leasing models that will decrease the risk for a farmer that they want to adopt um, and make it more accessible as well so yeah uh, people can get in touch if they want to hear but um, it's certainly if you're doing a big pivot it's going to be in six figures um, but hopefully at a price point that you know if uh, even with interest rates at sort of nine or ten percent, it shouldn't be more than two or three year payback period. Yeah, and and I think that's where we circle back to value, isn't it? Because um, the the cost is, is is in some ways is irrelevant because it comes down to what you what what this gives you or what it could give you um, as part of your farm system. And so, you know, where do you see the future of the technology going? I mean, we all like our own product and we think about it twenty four seven. So. <laughs> It's sort of you get a bit obsessed with it um but i mean if you can grow away more using the same inputs and um you know it costs a bit to retrofit a system but if people are replacing the pipe work or sprinklers and that every 10 years if you're if you're changing over the drip line at the same time or doing a greenfield install um the costs are probably half of what they are as to doing a retrofit we sort of hope Hey, in 10 years' time, maybe it'll be a similar story to VRI, where um, I think maybe 35 or 40% of pivots, depending on where you are in, in New Zealand and Australia now, they'll they'll put that sort of technology from when it first came through, sort of in the early 2010, 11, 12. Um, that's the goal. We could be doing, you know, 30, 40% of our pivots. I guess the big thing is we have to find a way to um, get it to work around cows as well, but it's very early days, so... Um, you know, if we can target the low-hanging fruit and ones that it does work with well, and then sort of progress out there, Kiwis always have a way of finding new, new may. You know, if there's a chal- a problem or a challenge, we always say, um, you know, a company mantra is a no problems only solution. And I think that's sort of the Kiwi number eight why mentality that's always gone back in time. Um, farmers find a way to make stuff work and do it at a low budget and make it fit. And we think that's what's going to happen too. So. Yeah, long-term goal. Ten years' time, we hope thirty percent of new, new retro, new sort of new installations and new retrofits are, are using this sort of technology. Yeah, and and I mean, you touched you touched on it earlier on. Um, I I suspect one of one of the bigger challenges is people seeing this as as sort of witchcraft or or something, and and don't give it the the um, the attention it, it perhaps deserves. So you said that you've done five. Is it five years of of study? Uh, three years, three years since three we years. first started the company. Yeah, so still, still growing, still building, but um, starting to get a bit of data behind us as well. You know, absolutely. So, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? I don't know. Um, I could talk for <laughs> I could talk for days uh, now about our stuff. It's probably best you stop me going down a, a rabbit hole of all these other things. But um, what, what, what about feedback? Have you what, what's been the feedback from people who have used? Um, the the nano bubble technology. Um, yeah, depends. It's um, it all comes back to cost and value for the farmer is the big thing. So like, no one's going to buy our stuff if it's expensive and they're not getting much value back from it. So we have to show the value um, multiple times so that people know, hey, if I spend a lot of money on this, 
it's actually going to be a payback period that help or it's going to be saying it helps my business because we've got to keep the business that's always number one moving forward and and running profitably so it's just yeah we're very early days in terms of trying lots of crops and stuff grass has been our best one we know we can grow a lot more but integrating that into a farm system and bringing the tech through because it's not easy developing new stuff and um, we have to fund our way as well so I guess our, our thing is people it's always tough to see the future but I mean yeah I looked to Halter and I remember five or six years ago like reading articles and I was like geez they're going to control cows like remotely and it sounded pretty preposterous <laughs> and then now I visit farmers and they're using it and it's like hey this makes my life better the cows seem to love it you know it's not crazy stuff. And we sort of think, we talk to people about farming, oh, we're gonna have these hoses dragging around. And a lot of guys, obviously it's a new, a lot of people, it's a new technology. It sounds pretty far-fetched, but um, yeah, there's a lot of sort of science behind it as well. And I mean, if you can get more oxygen into your soil, buys up all your aerobic bacteria, they create a much better growing environment. Um, if you always grass, if you've got better, bigger, healthier roots, you know, you'll do better. Uh, one really interesting thing that I didn't think seemed that, valuable to me but um, a lot of one or two of the farmers we've showed when we did our first pivot installation at Massey that I referenced earlier we were keeping all the rain off and we, we did nearly double the production we actually did over double the production in the month after we stopped irrigate or the two-month period as we're sort of coming into winter and we just walked away and let rain and everything keep going but the sort of bigger healthier roots and plants that we brought provided more feed through winter and that's obviously your highest cost feed um, through the you know outside of your main growing season so um, that could be really helpful as well, but I'm going down another rabbit hole, so just feel free to stop no, me now. No, 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 <laughs> the, 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 the rabbit holes are good because it gives it gives insight into um, the, the benefits more broadly. So the, the rabbit holes are really good. Yeah. <laughs> Don't ever yeah. apologise for those. Nah, I, I guess the big thing is it's it's um, it sounds pretty far-fetched, but hey, five or ten years' time when we're banging out a lot of these and the costs are coming down and, and we've found out ways to work it and, and we know, hey, if you're we haven't got into a lot of crops yet, but we think, um, yeah, if we, we did a wheat trial last year um, as well as plantain and potatoes. And the wheat, we did, I think, an extra half a tonne, which was pretty disappointing. Um, heck, yeah, but we think there's a lot of changes we can make. It was our first time, and we missed the first third of the season, and it rained a lot too. Um, if we sort of do a whole lot of changes, um, improve how it works, you know, two ton extra is not um we're not actually that far off and yeah. if we can do that we think you know that's sort of coming to the point where um our technology would be worth buying for cropping guys in canterbury in new zealand so yeah it's just it's not going to happen overnight but it's sort of we're trying to change the way people irrigate so it's pretty it's not easy well, I mean, the, this is proven technology that that gets utilised in a number of other industries already. So it's it, the the underlying um, fundamentals aren't being sought to be proven, are they? That's already there. Well, yes and no. no when we started, no one had done anything in soil. So there was one or two very vague studies. Right. You know, nothing. And then um, all the engineering challenges we've overcome. Everyone said it was impossible. It can't be done. You'll never make this work or that work. And we've there's probably been five pretty massive ones that we've had to work around. And yeah, um, we know there's going to be other people in the space, but we also think it's going to be, from what we can see, if you can grow way more, like it's just the obvious way to the next jump up and sort of technology since sort of soil moisture probes and all that sort of thing, putting on the optimum amount. Now it's like, well, hey, we've got something totally different that you can just grow an extra 20 or 30% more. Um, 
period, that's a pretty big step up. And um, well, the, the yeah. thing is, it might it might not actually be about growing more, mightn't it? It might be about maintaining your existing growth with less. Um, yeah, because exactly. as we as, as we as we move through the different regulatory processes that are that are happening around us at the moment, you know that that might be the situation that many people are facing. Yeah, exactly. I echo that sentiment. And um, we just come back from a trip to California, and uh, you know they grow over half of all America's fresh veggies and fruit and nuts and stuff are grown in the Central Valley, and um, they're having to cut their water back heaps because it's been over allocated and aquifers are dropping. Some guys, depending on what their water rights are and how close they were to the main river, are having to reduce by 50%, um, and their entire business is tied up in orchards. So you drive around the valley now, there's a lot of dead orchards where people are just walking away. Um, but so very different. Uh, we got a lot of water here in New Zealand by comparison. So, uh, But yeah, different drivers, and exactly as I said, being able to grow the same with less inputs is, is another big thing that's exactly the same everywhere you go in the world. It's not just New Zealand, so um, yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. Oh, um, thank you so much for your time today. Really, really appreciate it. It's been fascinating to learn more about your business and um, how you've got it to where you've got it to now. Um, you know, any startup business um, is a hugely challenging and, and probably quite overwhelming for most people, um, but it's really impressive um, what you guys are doing and we wish you all the best as you um, continue on that journey. Cool. Thanks very much, Mel. I'd just like to point out um, a big thank you to SFFF. So we've had a bit of government funding and from um, okay. Agmart as well that helped sort of co-fund our first stuff that we did. And then, oh, SFFF are only just jumping on now, but we're doing a whole lot of, they've sort of partially co-funded our first ones. Like uh, we did our first sort of dairy farm one over the end of last year um, at a lime farm just down the road in Ashburton. And then yep. we've got a larger 10 spanner full circle 100 hectare that uh, we hope to be doing well, this summer it's going in as well as quite a few other trial uh, ones on cropping farms and um, and other irrigated dairy uh, around New Zealand. So, yeah, hopefully we'll have you know another full season of big progression in technology and data to share with farmers. We're getting pretty close to guessing what sort of benefit we get. So, yeah.